Welcome to Pod Space Nine, the last stop for trash in the Alpha Quadrant. This is a rewatch podcast for Star Trek Deep Space Nine, featuring two veteran viewers and one newbie. My name is Justin, and I'll be a rating team commander. Joining me is my science officer, Anna, with our new acting ensign, Jude. Jude, Anna, how you doing? Uh, I'm okay. How how was how's oxen moot, Jude? It was fucking dope. Uh, I mean, you know, also exhausting. Uh, and like draining because. I'm not great at socializing. Um, don't let the uh, version of me that you hear on this podcast give you the impression that I know how to like interact with human beings. Uh, I do not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure none of our listens- listeners are under that impression. Don't worry. Well, I'm just, I'm applying the appropriate caveats. Uh, no, yeah, it was fucking weird. Um, it turns out that people listen to my podcast. And that was a strange thing to interact to like run into. I would meet people and they'd be like, Oh, I listened to your podcast. And the, the urge to immediately respond with why was so intense, <laughs> but it was great. Steph was uh, an absolute champion. Uh, she was like shaking hands and deals. And we have like a bunch of cool people that are going to come on. And I met some very awesome people and it was great all around a great experience. Uh, I do wish, and uh, this is actually, in fact, relevant to this episode, I had not taken the out of Cleveland to Dublin, Ireland, and then immediately transferred to a flight to London because I went about 36, 40 hours without sleep. Oof. And somewhere in there is where I watched these two episodes and took my notes. So if they're a little punch drunk, that's why. If that isn't bad pod energy, I don't know what is. Right? I feel like it's appropriate. Were it feasible for, for like all of our health and sa- like and like regular schedules, I would want all of our uh, episodes done in at least a little sleep deprivation. <laughs> it's it's yeah, Friday, I can, I can so like that. that's you know honestly that's accurate. Yeah. That's how Fridays roll. I feel like we're all emotionally sleep deprived, if not in fact physically yeah. sleep deprived. Yes. Yeah. I took several days off work because I was feeling yeah, because the changed seasons had me. Oh yeah. The the yep. pressure changes have been a nightmare here too. And like I spent days with like an off and on sinus headache. Despite like sl- you know, sleeping until like ten every like for most of the days this week, I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, well, uh, I'm sitting at my desk being gassed by my cat. <laughs> I've never known a animal to be able to produce like this intensity of like rotten egg smell, and yet, and oh, yet. I've had some dogs. <laughs> my dogs cannot compete with Pip. There's something. There's something about cats, man. I, they're carnivores, maybe, or uh, I, I think it's just to sort of belie their small, cuddly exterior. But I feel you, man. The My dogs have nothing, nothing on Pip when he is in a mood. I just, I just like came over to my desk after having dinner to record and was just like, wow, Q has left me just a cloud of egg. Thanks, cat. Now I get to record in this. Yep. Thank God for air purifiers. <laughs> what, about, what about you, Justin? How are you doing? So... And apart from like taking several days off because I felt like the like exhausted and migrainey, so I did something that like I've been threatening to do for over a year, which was get a new chair. Um, 
Because my current one, Zathras knows this better than anyone. Like, basically the hinge on it was busted to a point where, like, <laughs> I could get it, like, a 30-degree angle just, like, sitting back without, like, adjusting the chair at all. It was just that broken. And it would creak like holy hell. <laughs> so I got myself a new chair. And this new chair, like, there are parts of it that are different. Like, it's a, it, it's, it's a little bit smaller, so it, like, I'm not, like... It, it fits me tighter and I'm not sure whether I like broke something or didn't assemble it right because there was like one screw that didn't fit and I'm this just super paranoid. the story of me doing Ikea furniture yeah. where yeah. there's the, like, the constant paranoia that I've done, I've put something on backwards and it's going to fall apart at any second. <laughs> like it feels right. But also like, because like the chair doesn't like rock back instantly, like Internally, my like internal oh, gyroscope gotcha. is wrong. You, you are so conditioned like, to a broken chair that a chair normally feels broken. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> it feels like I'm. It feels like I'm like t- on a floor that's tilted. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's how busted my like inner ear balance is right now. <laughs> that's very funny. But like, I've got lumbar support now. I've got a neck pillow. It's oh, like nice. you know, you know, I'm. I'm you know, it's it's nice. It's nice. Now I'm like sitting up straight when I'm recording. It's it's um who knows? We we you know I can I can hear I can hear Zathras rejoicing from here. Yeah. He doesn't right. have to like edit out me leading back and Yep. And he's like most of the, Aaron I, I told Aaron he's like, you know, at least ninety nine percent of the time when you're doing that you aren't talking, so I can edit it out easily. <laughs> nice. I'm like the- yes, I, I I lean forward when I'm talking because I'm I'm excited. Um, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> we are covering two episodes tonight. I think two of my favorite season two episodes that are like not like super plot relevant. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, these are good ones. As soon as the second episode started, I was like, oh, I understand. I get it. I know. <laughs> I get why Justin's doing the summary on necessary evil now. I see. I mean, these are like they're not huge arc episodes but they are i think some of the better written and executed ones yeah for like what they're trying to do and what they're ex- what they're achieving here they don't have they, to uh, be arc episodes to just be well yeah. done and these are both well done episodes and i would i would classify them both as fun and useful if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah like i consider both these episodes essential viewing yeah for sure in a rewatch i would never skip either yeah, I I would not put the either of these on a skip list. Uh, I've got the first one, so why don't I get started? Yeah, we're doing episodes seven and eight of season two, Rules of Acquisition and Necessary Evil. You've got Rules of Acquisition. Take us away. Rules of Acquisition, episode seven of season two, uh, with story by Hillary J. Bader, teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear, and directed by David Livingston. Uh, as I said... Uh, <laughs> I watched this episode while on a red eye uh, to Dublin. Uh, the note I made is that it was the Ireland one, not the California one. Which Nobody I thought does Dublin, California. <laughs> which I Nobody thought Justin would be Cal- the only one to, to yeah. get. Uh, I was very tired. So uh, if I'm a little punchy in my notes on this one, um, that's why. Uh, our episode opens on Dax playing space poker of some stripe with the Ferengi including Quark's newest waiter, Pell, who is more interested in impressing Quark with suggesting they serve 
free sand peas, I mean peanuts, in order to make the patrons thirsty. Rom looks on in confusion as Pell and Quark flirt over the rules of acquisition until the Grand Nagus calls with an offer of profit. The Nagus arrives on DS9 and, over Beetle Snuff, tells Kira and Sisko he's going to be negotiating with a race from the Gamma Quadrant. Sisko bullies him into giving Bajor 50,000 kilos of a much-needed fertilizer, basically not to narc on them with these aliens. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what it boils down to, is it's Sisko saying, give us the fertilizer, or we're going to tell these aliens that you're n- notorious thieves and cheats before you even get started. Like, this is some of my favorite Cisco stuff of, like, dealing with Ferengi and doing, like, I think out of all the Starfleet captains, Cisco gets Ferengi and recognizes, like, does not treat them as, like, he doesn't treat them as, like, he doesn't weird tr- or uncivilized. He just knows you've got to play hardball with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows he how doesn't, to he doesn't pussy he, he doesn't pussyfoot around. He he like he knows exactly how you to know do what it is. Yeah. Other other space captains are like the Democrats with the Republicans when it comes to the Ferengi. Whereas Sith is in there in the pits knife fighting with the Ferengi, and that's why he's actually <laughs> able to get stuff done with them. He like it's like he doesn't get distracted by being like grossed out by them. Yeah. Yeah. Part of I mean, and part of that is because he recognizes like I mean we'll get to this in another like line in this episode but Cisco and like like Cisco and Dax both and part of that is I think both of them having diplomatic histories like recognize like they do not exoticize the Ferengi yeah uh anyway having done that the Negus then uh goes back to his quarters where. He gets a foot massage from Cork, which is fucking weird. I have no no <laughs> explanation for that. At least it wasn't an ear massage. Yeah, that would have been I weirder. Mean, uh, he and then he gets a uh, an explanation of what the what the deal is. Specifically, uh, he wants tulaberry wine and lots of it. Pell warns Cork later to be wary of being set up as a fall guy if things go sideways. Uh, Cork takes him on as an assistant in the negotiations uh, for 20% of the profits, much to Rom's chagrin. In his quarters, my air quotes come home to roost as Pell removes her artificial ears to reveal she is a female. The Gamma Quadrant aliens arrive, looking like the heels in the WWE special event. They are called the Doci, and they are immediately insulted that they aren't talking to the big boss and don't want to sell even half of what the Nagus initially wanted, much less the 10 times that he demands when Quark first reports his failure. Elsewhere, besides appearing to set Quark up to fail, Nagus decides inexplicably to court Kira, the single female on the station least likely to respond positively to his advances. Uh, Much to her horror, Kira, the audience stand-in for this B-plot, cannot fucking fathom what Dax sees in the Ferengi, Dax's explanation of, well, if you ignore the rampant misogyny and the self-destructive cap, sort of fun, is a bit of a head-scratcher to me, honestly. (laughs) Um, But I do think plays into what Justin is saying, that there's, it's more complicated than just Ferengi bad. We we can discuss it, yeah. Yeah, but we'll talk about it. Um, 
However, it does put Dax into an interesting position to be observing when uh, Pell supports Quark, even after the Nagus throws his insane, I want 10 times as much wine, demand at him. Uh, She confronts him at the Replomat, uh, thinking only that Pell is gay. Yeah, I love this one. And is astonished and amused to find that Pell is a woman. I thought that she knew what was going on. (laughs) <laughs> and that they were leaning into like the whole like trans thing. No, she just thought Pell was gay. Yeah, and it yeah. turns out it <laughs> something different. The so. <laughs> uh, it's oh you're a woman. Shit, I thought you were gay. <laughs> right. Which is I think very funny. That is yeah. Gonna... And and they played that very smooth too. Yeah. The the way that this show is just casually, subversively, nonchalant about gender and sex so far is bananas to me yeah the doci meanwhile have left in a huff and after a firm scolding from the nagus pell tells him that he and quark are taking the nagus's ship to the gamma quadrant to secure the deal on the way pell nearly spills the sand peas to quark who thinks pell just wants to renegotiate her cut of the profits they re they arrive on the doci homeworld to find it resembles the backstage in a wrestling promo quark picks a fight with their contact and kicks over a wine barrel They end up being forced to stay the night while waiting for a reaction from their contact, which induces some straight panic in Pell, who eventually kisses Quark, much to his confusion. Before they can talk it out, however, another docile appears and explains what's going on. She says that the reason their contact couldn't sell them that much wine is there doesn't exist that much on the planet. But for a price, she could put them into contact with someone who can. Someone who resents who represents a mysterious group known as the Dominion. This seems evidently to Quark and Pell what Zek was really aiming for. Kids, I have not watched much DS9, but I've watched enough here and there. I have been in the Star Trek sphere of influence long enough to know that it is fucking insane that this is how the Dominion first gets introduced into Deep Space <laughs> oh, Nine. We'll, t- we'll talk about this. We'll talk about this, too. Uh, Throwing it out there. Uh, while yeah, they are gone, yeah. uh, Rom goes into Pell's quarters looking for dirt to use to regain his dubious position of favor, favor with Quark uh, and finds her box of ears. I was real certain that Pell, that he was going to think that Pell was a serial killer. I didn't think his first <laughs> thought would be cross-dresser. I thought that Pell was some sort of weird sociopath that was slicing, basically collecting dicks. But no, apparently he figured out what it was. Um, as soon as Quark and Pell return, he is anxious to spill to Quark and ends up doing so right after the Nagus bestows his praise on Quark, uh, Quark to faint. When he awakes, he pacifies Rom by offering him the bar once he takes on the Gamma Quadrant profits. He goes to Pell to get rid of her, offering her 10 bars of latinum to leave before the Nagus finds out. She wants him to go with her, but he refuses as she would never be a good Ferengi wife. However, rather than go quietly, Pell shows up at a celebratory dinner to announce her gender to the Nagus, uh, who is prevented from punishing Quark only by the fact that he too was bamboozled by her. Quark loses his profits. Rom loses the bar. A chance to own the bar. Consoles Quark over all of it. What even is this episode? <laughs> oh, it's wild. Um, oh my God. It? Yeah. It's... What is this episode? Um, it's like, it's, it's one of my favorites because we've got so many things going on. We've got the like, like Ferengi cross-dresser trope 
stuff. We've got the like bedroom farce with the like, there's only one bed. Oh, yeah. No, like my favorite part about this is apparently not intentional is that it's a screwball comedy. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, so much fucking fun. Wild nonsense in this episode. Like no single detail in this episode is not taken in isolation and stated does not sound insane. <laughs> like name some piece yeah, of this absolutely. episode. Quark and another male Ferengi flirt about the rules of acquisition. That's pretty fucking weird. Um, like Quark acts, you know, Quark is, is the introduction is the introduction vector for the dominion. That's even weirder. The W like wrestlers. Apparently there's an entire planet of wrestlers in the, in the, the gamma quadrant. That's weird too. Oh, and I have great memory alpha notes for all of this too. Oh yeah. I can't wait. Cause I, okay. I purposely don't look at memory alpha anymore for episodes. Cause I, I, yeah. I like, there's too much spoilers in memory alpha for me. Yeah. Yeah. You, you really shouldn't be, especially like production notes and stuff like that. But yeah, but so I, I can stay look away for from you it. and bring, and bring the, bring and the, I have been enjoying the, the wild nonsense. Um, I did, I didn't mention also more. a ton of like great details. Like we've yeah. got Morn, like Odo, like, like telling Morn that he has to go home as he sleeps on the ground outside of Quark's. <laughs> well, and I like that he says, you got to go home, Morn, and Morn goes to the bar. That's, that's yes. where, he, that's, that's his, he says, go home, and Morn goes up to the bar and is like, let me in. Which is funny because we, I, do we know yet that Morn is a captain? No, no. I'm but sorry. Morn, what so Morn is only Morn is only a running gag at this point, and like a preliminary yeah. form with the Morn running gag. Um, yeah, he has like, yet to evolve. Yeah, like we will get more information, but it's like no Quark. Has, like Morn has a ship that he could go home to. He just he chooses to go to the bar instead. I mean, he even has quarters on the station. I also really like the bit with um. At the beginning, when they're playing, I forget what they what the what the game is called. Uh, but Tongo, Tongo, where they're playing and it's doing like the spin around thing, and then they all turn and look, and it's Dax sitting there. Mm-hmm. It's not that you I wouldn't expect Dax to. It's a really well executed shot, and I like that. I have a lot of complicated feelings about like how gross the Ferengi are, and Quark in specific is to Dax. And how, like, absolutely nonchalant ja- Dax is about it all. But I do think it's very funny yeah. that Dax is, like, completely nonplussed by the casual and rampant sexism that she wades through to hang out with the Ferengi. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 okay, this is, this is going to be really bad. But Dax is... Dax, Dax is, like... Yeah, this is the only place where I can find a board game group in this in the city. <laughs> and I get that there's a bunch of weird redditors there. But uh that's so true. Uh, yeah. Uh I can't find anyone to game with. So I'll go down to the game store and play with the grognards. Uh and I love how she's like annihilating them at this game. Um and they're and they're like Oh, it's it's it must be actually Curzon who's beating us. Um, when yeah. she reveals that, like she learned to play, oh, no, like it was Curzon who learned to play, and she's just like, "No, I'm way better than Curzon ever was, bitches." Yeah, 
<laughs> and they're like, ah, shit. Uh, like, I, honestly, I see both Jedzia and Kira's like points of view on the Ferengi. Oh, yeah. Um, that like they 100% are like misogynist, greedy trolls, and like I would not be able to stand them in person. But they're so different from like every other species we see on Trek. Mm-hmm. Like even they're so different from a lot of the villains, even like because they're they're like you know they're not militaristic, they're not violent, and they make for really fun episodes. I think one of the reasons that the Frankie are so fun is that is one I think that like unlike Klingons or Romulans. They're not introduced as an other mm-hmm. born out of war yeah. paranoia. Instead, they are hyper-capitalist Americans from the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I, yeah. That I was just, you hit it exactly what I was going to say. They are exactly the same kind of like caricaturism of like a, a, st- a single cultural stereotype that you get in other aliens, but it's about us. So we find it funny. Yeah. Yeah. We find it less threatening and they're, more amusing. They're madmen. Yeah. They're a caricature of madmen. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's the same the same thing that makes madmen like fun to watch. Except that they're fools on top of being yeah, yeah. everything else. Yeah. Man, now I want to see like a Ferengi madmen cr- crossover. <laughs> Quark in the role of in the role of Dan Draper. What one thing I do have to say also about the Ferengi is that DS9 has just incredible casting for all of them. Yeah. Um, that like I don't think that the Ferengi would be what they are if we didn't have Armin Jimmerman, Max Grodencheek, Walshawn, and Aaron Eisenberg all just like killing yeah. it every single time they're on screen. I yeah, think- they bring a lot of heart to the characters. It mm-hmm. makes it hard to hate them when they are so personable. Uh, one of the things I think is like when they're originally introduced in TNG, there are some very unfortunate anti-Semitic like mm-hmm. caricatures they're drawing off of. And I think that like, I think one thing that like, it, it, like Anna said is like, the brings so much humanity to them. And yeah. I think, I think that's one of the things that is like, especially in DS9 is that like, because you get to stay in one place for all this time, the, these people who, if they were in, if we had an episode where we got Ferengi shenanigans like that in like a TNG episode, we'd think it was funny and it would move along and we would never see those characters again. But would it, would because it, would we get to stick around home? with them. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, but I mean, like, because we get to stay stick around with these characters, I think that, like, you know, there's just, we get to have, like, little moments, and these little moments get to mean more because these actors get to work on it constantly. And, like, we'll also see in, like, next episode, that like, like, Quark and uh, Rom's relationship just has all these layers to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that I've really loved about DS9 in general, one of the things that I think, one of the things that I think was really great about Babylon Five, and one of the things that I think works so well about DS Nine, is that by centering it on a place where there's a lot of alien races, it lets 
those alien races become dimensional in a way that you don't get on the bridge of a Starfleet ship where it's yeah a bunch of humans and then like the one alien who has to mostly act like a human except for like his weird cultural quirks looking at you Worf um like for the most part <laughs> they you don't get that access to the uh, to the alien cultures long enough for it to become dimensional and humanized for lack of a better term but on DS9 because you soak you're you're constantly in the Bajoran and the Ferengi and the Cardassian culture, you do get more. I'm presuming there'll be more of the Cardassian because we've gotten that a little, a little oh, yeah. bit, but I'm assuming yeah. there'll be more, but you certainly are seeing Joran and the Ferengi so far. Um, and I really like that. I think, and I, again, I think that's one of the things that worked really well about Babylon five is you had these races here full time. You got to really soak in and you got to, they, they became really, three-dimensional and they be you know the the people became part uh, uh, a whole character and i think that's something that's really working really yeah. well in ds9 yeah absolutely the b plot in this one actually is a fairly good example of like the ferengi um because we've got the b plot of the nagus pursuing kira which is just wild as a b plot um because like we know that it's not going to go anywhere <laughs> but they managed to do a very good job of skirting that line like between like annoying and gross and predatory with it. Mm-hmm. Kira is rightfully frustrated that the Nagus keeps pursuing her and giving her gifts and being like, then a, a night of wild unbridled passion is out of the question. <laughs> okay. But Wallachon's delivery on that right. is the funniest thing ever. It's incredible. I mean, grabbing her ass is like, like that, that is the point where it gets a little bit too much for me. But yeah. like, I do like every time like Zex shoots his shot. I mean, yep. God bless. It is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And, but like, there's never a sense of threat to it. Like it's annoying and you get why Kira is super fed up with it, but like, she doesn't seem like she's like, feels actually threatened by this just annoyed and like yeah we also as the audience like she's grossed out by it but yeah she doesn't feel she's not afraid of it is the sense that is i think the sense that they yeah. what they're aiming for there and i think mm-hmm. they they hit that pretty pretty accurately yeah and and like you know that they could have easily gone you know a little bit too far on that but they don't mm-hmm. i think it's noteworthy you you pointed out as well, but I think it's noteworthy that so far, almost every Ferengi we've met has wanted Kira to step on them, which I think <laughs> says something really profound about their culture that yeah. they say they want their women to be like submissive yeah. and naked. But we all know who who the bottoms are in 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 their culture. And it's it's the men. They they yeah, all it's... want they all want a a no bullshit Bajoran rebel to step on them in sharp, pointy high heels. Yeah. yeah. I think I think a lot of this episode can be summed up is that under capitalism, that th- like there are a number of competing or there are a number of like conjoined systems that we live under. Capitalism, patriarchy being some of those. 
that tell that tell us and enforce us to want certain things, which I mean, we'll say that the Ferengi are a capitalistic and patriarchal society, and as such, they are told they are told to ex- like societally want certain things, and some of those things. The joy is in subverting that. Like, for example, saying, yes, I would like a submissive wife who's naked all the time, when really you just simp for bad bitches. <laughs> right, yep. right. That's more eloquently put than I was. That's what I was trying to say. You just said it more eloquently than I could have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's my funny thing. Like, I think that, like, in another society, like, Pell is Quark's perfect woman. Right. He just doesn't realize it. Like, she is just as, like, ferocious of a Ferengi as she is. In fact, more so. Like, yeah. Pell is nice, but she doesn't have, like, the, like, soft heart that that Quark has. Yeah. Yeah. Because Quark is, like, actually a softie. Uh, I just got to your memory alpha notes, and my mind is fucking blown. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, so which which memory alpha note is this? Is this the one where apparently this was this is originally a TNG pitch where Riker was gonna fuck Pell and Beverly was going to befriend her? I, I'm like the the original writer for that who's like who's like, I wanna read that original TNG script because I just wanna just Riker my bisexual king. Right. Right. <laughs> like that was gonna that that would be incredible. Um, Riker is the human race in space. If it moves, I'll make a move. Yeah. The the producers and directors apparently regretted spinning this as the like comedy slash bedroom farce, as they describe it, um, which is like, this is why the episode's great. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I don't it, get it's because, like, yeah, I mean, part of it is like, it's in 2023. I think if there are some really fascinating things you could do with gender in this in this framework, and like, like this is this is the thing where I don't like to project. Like, I, I, in Star Trek, I think that like projecting like real life issues can sometimes be a little hard. But like, what does phobia look like in Ferengi culture? Because right. it has to be fucked beyond belief. Oh, um, yeah. To which to which I'm like I, I you know, truly hope yeah but the 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 thing of it of like i i think it i think it would be interesting either like there there's so many ways that like you could spin this episode and so many questions it brings like pell is genderqueer or like quark i mean quark wanted to fuck pell until it became Ethic until it became legally dubious for him to still be keeping company with Pell. Right. Which is, yeah. He wanted to fuck Pell up until he learned that Pell was a woman. Which is yeah. so fucking funny. Right? Yeah. yeah. Two questions. Yeah. One, what is uh, that raises a whole host of questions about like Ferengi oh, yeah. sexual behavior as far as like who are they? I mean, are they on a spaceship? Just have females on their spaceships or is it just all the all no, the male Ferengis banging each other until they get to port and then they they go and like sexually harass the the local female populace and then go back to their ship and bang each other again that <laughs> feels like what happens uh second question episodes like this 
uh, really make me sad that we only get like 10 episodes a season of Modern Trek because yeah. you don't get to do these more like nuanced, noodly explore episodes in mm-hmm. like, I want them to give Strange New Worlds 22 episodes so we can get a mm-hmm. fucking episode like this of Strange New Worlds because Strange New yeah. Worlds has shown they'll do it. We've gotten I mean, musicals. From- we've gotten fucking body sw- season they'll fucking do it i just want them to have the room to feel like they can not have to do something important every episode and they can just fuck around for a couple of episodes every season i think i mean from from what i've heard it's it's like a double-edged sword of 10 episodes are cheaper to produce and and like the i and i believe that it is like actually like it's less it's much less taxing on actors and yeah. everyone but at yeah. the same time it is less work that you can get paid for um and i mean but it does it does allow actors to take other work so it's like this whole like complicated thing of like you know i like i understand why it happens and it's and i'm well, like 15 then. I would, it doesn't have to be 22 you know, like, but you know, i would 15, love a little bit like longer 15, than 10 yeah yeah, 10 yeah feels very those, short to me it, same yeah I mean, even even like twelve, I like would be happier with. Um, yeah. I this is one of the reasons that I'm so grateful for lower decks, though, because I feel like lower decks is what's doing the the fun shit. Yeah, I gotta catch up with lower. Can, decks. can, can I, Autumn? Like you, you've seen the the new episodes of Strange uh, of Lower Decks at least. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the the first three of the season. Whoopsie. Oopsie! <laughs> it drinks your bones. What? How does it drink your? Bo- oh my god! Oopsie! <laughs> I've, I've like listen, Paramount. Fuck you, but give me a Moopsie plushie. <laughs> <laughs> like, like when I saw when I saw that and I saw this thing, I was like, you gave us a you gave us a fucking alien that like is animated like a little flower bag like it, it moves like it moves like a, a sack of potatoes yes. and it chugs people's bones it chugs people's bones yes it drinks your bones which led to ransom saying one of the funniest lines ever in trek it's chugging <laughs> you gotta like, you gotta catch up with lower decks just, just watch just I'm... watch ep- season four episode two of I just really watch that catch one up with that because right. it's the funniest, like, take on, like, a monster is loose on the ship. We've, we should probably also talk about, like, both the Dosai and the Dominion. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was so, shocked that this was legitimately, for all the money in my bank account, I would have bet that the Dosai were based on wrestlers. I was not doing a bit because Justin's on this podcast. I would have sworn up and down that this was some 90s wrestling reference the fact that it's based on borneo in, in the indigenous peoples of borneo at least the at least the facial art not necessarily the rest of the yeah. costuming or the yeah. or the like attitudes but that's that, that was the apparently the for the like facial art meanwhile justin has posted in our discord channel i have posted six uh wrestler face paints the for for people who like want to listen along with the show, this is a multimedia experience. Um, the 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 six people I are 
Stardust, a.k.a. Cody Rhodes, um, Sting, CM Punk dressed as Surfer Sting, um, Finn Balor's demon look, uh, Jeff Hardy, and uh, Asuka in her murder clown look. Google all those and have fun just, like, looking at that and, like, going down a wiki hole. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry, but, like, at least two or three of those look you get what I'm, you get the reference. I'm yes, making. I, I do. It's anyway. I, um, the dominion one is legitimately a bigger mind fuck though. Yeah. That it's not that they were name dropping the, this enormous plot threat. I should have known better. Yeah. I it's just like have... they, they, they thought it sounded cool and like yeah, they, they didn't have any plans for it. It's just like they wanted to expand the gamma quadrant or, uh, world building, especially since like at this point, Voyager would have been in the like planning, like yeah. pre-production phases, and so they're looking at Voyager being the like Voyager by its very nature is always going to be a like Planet of the Week vibe, um, and the like successor of TNG's Planet of the Week vibe, um, and they wanted to have like an ongoing build something bigger in mm-hmm. the Gamma Quadrant. And they had no idea what they were building. They just called it the Dominion and were like, we'll figure it out later. They just wanted to make a polity of some sort of like, you know, okay, something to build towards, which I, I yeah, they, they didn't really have any plans for it. They just tossed it up because it sounded cool and menacing. Um, it really gets me hilarious. Like we will meet the Karma later. Yeah. Um, they are hilarious. I just think it's very funny that this is how they're introduced. To the yeah. via the Ferengi by a bunch of WWE knockoffs. Yeah, also I would like part of the Dominion. Yeah. Also, I would like to note that uh, this episode was nominated for an Emmy for outstanding makeup because of the Dosai. Yeah, it's cool makeup. Yeah, it's it's really well done. Oh, to go back on an earlier thing that you said, Jude. Yes, all for like all Ferengi ships only have dudes. And it is like that, except it is very transactional. Is that a canon statement or is this a Justin statement? Um, hold on. Is me, this memory me alpha it. or memory bad pod that we're talking about here? Uh, this is this is this is an apocryphal one. So they did release a uh, they did release a book that was literally all the rules of acquisition. Incredible. I remember that book. Who. I mean, we we haven't uh, we haven't had him on the show, but I feel like I'm calling him a friend of the pod in spirit. Uh, this was written by Iris Stephen Bear, who was one of the main writers of DS9 um, and showrunners, I think. Um, but uh, is it, so it's technically apocryphal, but Rule of Acquisition One Thirteen always have sex with the boss. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> Oh, incredible. Yeah. Yes. All right. And it's, I mean, that's canon, dude. That's not written by like anybody. That's written by the guy that's, that wrote this goddamn episode. It's not on screen though. So it is still memory beta. Yeah. But it is written by one of the primary dudes on DS9. So yeah. I take that as like gospel. Yeah. Well, there, there are some funny ones, which, um, by the way, can I just say that, like, I love the Hi- Hyperion Beetle snuff because, uh, like, Zek is just in a meeting, 
like Zach, what Zach is doing, he is he is in a meeting with a military com- with like two military commanders, and my man is just doing bumps. Yeah. <laughs> and they just be like, "You want any?" <laughs> He's such a weirdo. I think we're also going to see a little bit more of Tongo in the future, which apparently it is like, what if a what if like a German board game designer decided to make Monopoly? <laughs> like it, it is apparently like a thing where you are like buying and acquiring pro- properties on a market to sell. Fascinating. Oh, geez. Anyways, um, do you want to do a genre shift? Sure, yes. sure. All right, we are moving from screwball romance with gender to we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make this black and white. We're gonna we're gonna turn we're gonna like desaturate everything a little bit. Um, we're gonna increase the shadows by about sixty percent. We're gonna put on some great jazz that is going to make you like at at both melancholic and horny. Um, because we're going a little noir, baby. Uh, we're doing season two, episode eight, Necessary Evil, written by Peter Allen Fields and directed by James L. Conway. And Anna, thank you for the note. This is notably the same exact writer and director as Duet. So you know we are <laughs> in for some good shit. Yes, we are. Um, in the most noir of fashion... Uh, but we open on a bejeweled woman in the middle of a storm. Her power's out. She tells Quirk that she didn't kill her husband, even if Odo thinks she did. Uh, and she needs a favor from him. By the way, the the costume design on this on this on this woman on this character for this oh, episode. Oh, I will talk is, about it. Yes. Yeah, no, I cannot wait. It, it's like it is the most it is the most fatale a femme has ever been. It's like a rayon pantsuit with a cape, and she's and like wearing what looks like a chandelier. Like yeah, 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 on her ear. It's a wild it's look. Incredible. It, it should not work. No part of this outfit should work. But that they, they nail it. It does. It does work. Like it hits that like femme fatale thing perfectly. It's very weird. Yeah. She needs a strong box recovered from the station hidden in her dead husband, what used to be her dead husband's shop. Um, Quirk agrees to it for some money and promise of uh, favors. <laughs> and while she is doing this, she has a secret visitor who's spying on their negotiations for her. Then proving this is this is episode is just a complete tonal genre shift. Odo narrates a log. His log entry, after monologuing about human behavior, and, like, really the only thing that is missing on here is, like, a description of how a plasma plasma storm represents how, like, is a, a, like, metaphor for the station and its people. (laughs) Is, like, you know, that's the only thing that's missing from this. He just basically said, he, he monologues for a bit and says, everything's fine. That night, Which is a lie. Long. Nobody who knows D would believe that Odo saying everything is fa- everything is in order is accurate. I think I think like Odo's sense of control is like nothing on the station is burning presently. <laughs> yeah, that's valid. <laughs> Just wait until the Klingon restaurant moves in. That that'll be a thing. Don't worry. Quark and Rom uh, that night break into the storage room with. Rom- 
Those are the actual breaking, and they find a little package, this little lockbox. In the bar, they open it up, finding a sheet of paper with eight names. Bajoran names. As Rom goes to get a camera, the same Bajoran man from the planet who is spying on the conversation confronts Quirk and takes the paper before shooting him. Uh, Bashir takes Quirk into surgery, and Oda immediately believes that Rom is the murderer. Uh, Rom folds like a deck of cards... And reveals the list was stolen, and he reveals to Oda that the box was stored there when the Cardassians were there in a chemist shop. We get a flashback because we're just going all in on every fucking trope here, baby. Where Gold Ducat is sitting in that chemist shop, looking like a cat who is very pleased with himself. <laughs> um, he's got the canary feathers, like he's just brushing the canary feathers off of his uniform. He is. Sitting in a murder scene with a cup of coffee. <laughs> Gull Ducat says, hey, Odo, I want you to solve a murder. You've never done it before, but I think it'd be fun. And I think you'd be great at it. What's fucking wild is he's not wrong. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean like, putting aside the fact that oh, nobody should put somebody as fascistically inclined as Odo into a position of authority, except a Cardassian. He's right. I think that's Buckwild that Galdicott is like, hey, weird juice man, I've got a pretty good read on you, and I think you'd be great at detective work. And it turns out he's exactly right. What? <laughs> like, right? such a yeah. wild... It's because game recognized game. Yeah. <laughs> fast recognized fast fashion in this case. Yeah. yeah. God. Uh, Odo meets the victim's wife and she expresses anger and says her husband was having an affair with the woman who she thinks killed him when he broke it off. Um, she points out the woman to Odo on the promenade. It's Kira. Odo questions Kira in what is apparently their first meeting and Kira denies killing him. She says they weren't having an affair and they were just friends and he gave her some tea. In the present, Odo goes to the widow's house and questions her and she is incredibly evasive. Uh, Kira is able to find one of the names of the list, a guy named Chisaro, which he's been murdered. Oh no, he drowned in a pond in his own house. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, suspecting foul play, Order Odo orders a number of inquiries and an around-the-clock guard on Quark in the infirmary. Back in the past, Odo interrogates Quark, and Quark tries to provide an alibi for Kira, but Odo sees through him. Uh, Quark reveals that Kira paid him for an ally, Cot's like, hey, give me a name. Tell me who did it so I can kill them. So I can line them up against a wall and phaser them. In the present, Odo is able to assemble the list by looking at the widow's phone records. She's <laughs> everyone on the list once she got it. All of them collaborated for the occupation. Me thinks you should use secure channels or something. Or, you know, like burner phones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, this I, woman is not good at this. Yeah, I mean, I will say. This is pre-burner phone, which is, yeah. I mean, the cell phone was the great killer of, like, mysteries. Yeah, but but she could have used pay phones, right? If not burners. Like, yeah, that, that would be the thing, that, you, you know, you'd trace, trace, trace the call back and come from, like, you know, a random pay phone on whatever avenue. Like, that, that used to be the thing. Yeah. So in the past, Odo interrogates Kira, and she says the code of that Odo will need to pick a side once she reveals what she was really doing. She reveals that she was in ore processing, and she was there to commit sabotage. 
Ducat barges in, demanding to know if she's the murderer, and Odo tells Ducat that she didn't kill him. The man from the widow's house breaks into the infirmary to kill Quirk, and Rum, seeing this, starts the traditional Ferengi defense response, screeching like a scared baby. (laughs) (laughs) Jude, I told you the Ferengi scream would be back. You did. Um, Uh, (laughs) If anything, you undersold it. (laughs) Odo subdues the attack. Odo arrests the widow. Uh, revealing that the two of them have been in contact. Uh, Odo then speaks with Kira, who reveals, and he reveals that he figured out that Vatric, that uh, Vatric, the dead guy, must have been a collaborator. And he says that Kira must have done it. She reveals that in the past she was there to find the list, with Vatric being Dukat's link to Bajoran collaborators. Vatric walked in on Kira when she was searching, and she killed him. Odo is shocked. Frustrated, and he feels betrayed that Kira lied to him. And Kira explains that she tried to tell him, but it was too hard. And the two of them were left to try to figure out where their relationship stands. And Jude, I will remind you of this episode at some point in season five. Okay. Remember that this episode exists. I will attempt to do so. Noir Odo, Noir Odo, the best. Yeah, yeah. this is this is really one of my like. It's a bigger concept, and it always delivers. And René Abergenois is a fantastic monologuer. Yeah, like they're like this, and Fallout New Vegas are like his prime monologuing uh, yes. for very different reasons. The the fashion in this episode, oh my god, um, yeah, it's incredible. It's, the it's um, especially like as an expansion of world building because previously for Bajorans all we've seen basically are members of the military civilian or, like like work clothes basically yeah work clothes or religious garb or yeah or or yeah like work clothes that are often uniforms um or are just like working class farmery type people um or religious garb so seeing like haute couture for Bajorans is fascinating and especially the earring because like we've seen we've seen especially we've seen the Bajoran earring on a lot of religious people um and thinking of like what would what would this like incredibly important like cultural thing potentially look like on somebody who is just using it as a fashion item is bananas because it isn't this like mm-hmm. little chain with like little like charms that like are meaningful. No, it's like this like It's a goddamn chandelier. Yeah, it's incredible. I love it. It's it's such good world building. And it's like it's a classic signifier because like like most Bajorans, it's a light and not very intricate because it's something you're going to be wearing. Like Vatric's wife, I, I can't remember if she actually has like a given name, like Mrs. Vatric. Um like has this ostentatious one because she never has to do labor. Right. Right. And like, it's clear also like most people don't change out their earrings. They just have one that's like theirs. It is important Mm -hmm. to them, like culturally, personally, and spiritually. And like, she changes hers. It's a fashion accessory. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, I loved the, the noir turn in this episode i thought everybody all of the like quark and odo in particular do a great job in this episode 
the second the episode started, the writing, like the dialogue banter between the wife and Quark, immediately you know that this is a different thing. Yeah. Because they're 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 snappy and they're back and forth and it's horny as shit. Like even by <laughs> Trek by DS9 standards, it's super like it's out there. And yeah, there's just a lot going on. And yeah, and then you've got Ducat like Ducat's kind of playing a femme fatale role too. I mean, well Ducat Ducat is playing Ducat is playing the corrupt police chief. Yeah, yeah. Like he I mean, like that's in, the role in, in, he's playing, but he kind of is acting like he's vamping all over that office. I mean, I mean but that's just Ducat, though. Yes, but yeah, I'm, but, I'm making a joke about Ducat yeah. being a, uh, like... Yeah, but, like, he. this is one of the great things about Ducat is that he is always vamping everywhere, and I love it. It's one of yeah. my favorite things about him. Uh, yeah, it's... um. There, there's also a fascinating thing that I dug up in Memory Alpha about Dukat specifically. Um, there's apparently a deleted scene uh, showing that the wife was having an affair with Dukat in the past. Um, huh. uh, which is apparently supposed to be a red herring for past Odo's murder investigation. That it was cut. Um, I'm not entirely sure why, just probably for time, etc., um, but, but apparently Mark Alemo was very salty that they cut it because he, he <laughs> wanted to have the like softer side to cut where he gets laid. <laughs> he wanted to show off his, uh, sexy lizard chest piece. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> God. The one thing I do love in this episode is that in the scene in Quarks, like they, per- they, per- they have Ducat and Odo in profile. I think it's just like because we very rarely see it, but we get to see Ducatis and profile, and it's just so striking, like all yeah. the makeup and like and like how it's different angles, how you've got the how you have the the nose bridge, yeah, is very different from the Bajoran one, and it's just like it, it's a great it's a great little shot because they don't usually you, you're seeing like Cardassians face on, yeah, um, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. One detail I thought was really interesting, uh, a callback to um, the episode, the uh, Odo and Luxwana episode, uh, mm-hmm. where he talks about like how he was basically like a circus animal uh, in the lab, uh, where Ducat is weirdly empathetic while also being not it, in the yeah. sense of like. He's like, oh, you were very entertaining. Like, he's clearly like, you know, I came to your show, Dumbo. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's, but at the he's same like time, thinking, he's trying to ingratiate himself to Odo through it. And like, I, it sounds like he kind of is, but also at the same time, he's also saying, but I also could tell you that there was more to you than just party tricks. And I kept an yeah. eye on you from there. So it's a weird thing where he's like acknowledging that it was a shitty situation for Odo while still acknowledging that he found his oppression very entertaining. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's this is, weird... I mean, it, this I mean, is how, that's very Ducat, but yeah, I think like Ducat employs a tool of authoritarians of like, Hey, I'm going to empathize you with you. Do you want to, betray, do you want to like, you know, you're, you're, you know, and like singles out that like, Hey, you're different. You're other than, 
uh, somebody else. Do you want to come work for us? Like you're not, you're not. Like, do you want to come work for the for for me? You know, you're you're an outsider. You're a third party. You're you're yeah. You're you're not involved in this. You can you can be a tool of justice, quote unquote. Um, which I think we we get the question here of what Odo's like Odo's status as a collaborator. Which we get the start of the question. We're not going to get answers to this for a while. I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because I think it's it's an incredibly complicated question, but I think I I think that like I I do find it interesting of like pushing this idea here and not having a very simple answer for it is pretty cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. I said just a great episode. Just oh yeah, all just front to back uh, a terrific episode. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's I think it's one of the points here where like the writers have like. Yeah, Across a Trek series, there are there will be certain characters that through the the characters themselves and them being the outsider or all of like whatever, like Star Trek has a has a a fun and I don't know, like it's a lucky tradition of whenever they pick the outsider role for a series, they give it to the to like one of the most charismatic actors in the cast. So like Leonard Nimoy is Mr. Spock. Brent Spiner as Renee as Odo, Robert yeah. Picardo as the doctor. And, and, it, and it's like, it's, you can tell as like the series goes along that the writers like writing stuff for them. Yeah. Um, and like, this is, I think this is like where they're picking up that Odo is an interesting character that, that has a lot of questions. Um, not all of those questions are ones that I want answers to. Um, yeah, like yeah. I don't think it always hits. Uh, like unlike Data, where like most of the time it hits for me. Um, but I think it's like this is the point where it's like figuring out that like Odo is one of those characters, and Ducat is one of those characters as well. Yeah, and Quark and Quark. Yes, with a lot of these shows, I remember. I remember five, and I remember it with TNG. I remember it with Person of Interest, too. There's a point where the show hits. I don't know where it was in TNG. I think it was later in TNG. Uh, I feel like it was earlier in... Maybe it was earlier in Babylon 5. Anyway, um, there's a point where the writers, like, click. Where, like, the actors and the writers, everything suddenly gels. And the, the actors get comfortable with the roles. And the writers kind of, like okay, now we know what we're doing. We know how to like, we kind they kind of hit their groove and they start really like pumping out good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like season two of DS9 hits that real hard, real fast. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I feel like this is, this is the point where we are see, like, this is not going, this is not the peak of, this is not the peak of what we will see from DS9, but this is the point where you start seeing the potential of the concept being actually executed. Yeah. Yeah. You see that you see that they've they've found they've got their feet under them get traction. Like I remember mm-hmm. in Babylon 5 when like it's early on you can tell that JMS knows what he knows he has a plan but you can see the point at which the actors get get their teeth into the roles and things really start to move and they start to like get going on it. And uh, I love that point. 
Like we've done enough shows now. And like, and I've, it's made me like, think about shows critically. And that's one of the things I love about doing this podcast is once you start looking for that moment and you see it, it's a really fun moment to see that point where the showrunners and the actors, everybody's like, okay, this feels good now. And that's a fun moment to see. Yeah. It, it starts to hit like the butter zone. There is, there's going to be a five episode stretch here later in the season where, I mean, you could even say it's like six or seven where you get like this episode, which I think is like one of the peaks of the series of like showing what DS9 is like. I mean, it's like between like it's it's profit and loss, blood oath, the Maquis, the Maquis two parter, the and the wire, which are just like if I had to show somebody five episodes about what DS9 is about. Those would be the episodes. Um, And they're like, um, and then it's like, this is season two, but I think it's like, it's one of the best stretches. I think of like, it's one of the best stretches I think of any Star Trek show of like, just like five episodes that you can watch back to back to back to back. Um, I'm looking with the two parter, I think being the weakest part of that. Yeah. Which is like insane for Star Trek. But yeah, I mean, like, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I think they are clicking the they were between season. one. There was a real like, hey, we know that Voyager is being picked up now. We know that the network is focusing on Voyager. So we get to play around a little bit more. And I, it's it's really coming to play now. And it's only like the format is going to be even more. Like it's going to be expanded upon and explored, and I'm like, it just yeah. This is it's there. There are low there are low points going forward. There are like blank episodes, but like there's just really Mm. there's also like I think some of the peaks of the 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 of the universe and as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And like I keep going through, I keep going through the seasons and being like, wow, like this is so strong for an like early on in a track series. Yeah. Like, you know, compared to Voyager or uh, TNG or even original series where like fully like a third of original series episodes are like, I'll still watch them because they're fun, but they're like objectively not good. (laughs) But like, you know, seasons, both seasons one and two are like mostly bangers. It's very impressive. Yeah, there aren't a lot of like, there is no code of honor for this one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which, which uh, uh, code of like for those code of honor was an early season one next generation episode that is like astoundingly racist. Yeah. It's, it's like really bad and really racist. Yeah. Is there any, I, oh, I do love that. Odo in this episode gets to pull the Columbo. Oh, and one more thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> also his, like, it's part of a routine investigation. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's, like, he does get to pull those, and it's very fun. Uh, like, I I am a sucker for cop shows. And and we have, uh, we have a very solid, um, a very solid execution of good cop, bad cop, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, one thing that I found really interesting in this, ser- in this episode 
In the flashbacks, Dukat refers to the Cardassian polity as the Cardassian Empire, which is an interesting thing because in almost all of the, like, the, the, almost everything else, it's referred as the Cardassian Union. Fascinating. It don't seem like a union shop. Well, it's like the, the, like the polity of the, of of the Cardassians is called the Cardassian Union as like their official name in English. Um, but, but the, so I rewatched, uh, the, the episode that introduces the Cardassians, which was, uh, Next Generation's The Wounded, which is a fantastic episode that we will, that we will be watching at some point, because I think it's a really interesting episode and like shows, it, it does a lot of setup for what Cardassians will eventually become in what is sort of a throwaway episode. And it has Marco Limo in it, right? Yeah, Marco As- Limo plays a different Cardassian gull in it. Yeah, which is incredible. <laughs> like That's funny. In in beta canon stuff they retcon that those two that they're cousins. <laughs> um Amazing. Which very funny, but um but it's also referred to the Cardassian Empire there. So my headcanon for that is that at some point, like probably around the, the, the end of the occupation of Bajor, the Cardassian Empire reorganized itself to be referring to itself as the Cardassian Union in diplomatic packets. <laughs> That's funny. As a, yeah. as a rebranding strategy. Yeah. Speaking of memory beta content, um, there's also apparently a memory beta... Uh, novel called Dawn of the Eagles that gives the entire plot in the past. Everything. You know, I mean, this is just me. And like, I I immediately recoil at anything called something like Dawn of the Eagles okay. because I'm like, what fastest shit am I going to be reading with what's with, with like called Dawn of the Eagles? Right, right. But <laughs> apparently... Like, I mean, I'm not going to read it, but apparently there is a novel that, like, yeah. you know, details the entire, like, all of the events, not just the flashbacks. I think it would be fun to read at least, like, one of the DS9 novels. But, I mean, if if we have to, like, trade doing a B5 novel for it, I will say no. <laughs> <laughs> There's some good ones. Yeah, there are. But one last thing that I wanted to say is we're we're getting ROM skills. This is the yes. first episode with ROM skills. Yeah, I, which I think is very funny uh, that he's using them to like fill uh, Quark's safe, not liberate funds from it. Nominally, do, do we think that he's being honest about that? I do. I yes. think that I think that <laughs> yes. Rom is a good boy who has never done a crime in his life. Yes, I don't think. <laughs> yes, and no, nobody believes that he's like you know, not robbing Cork blind. And yet he's just a good boy. Yep. yep. Uh, but yeah, like Rom, Rom getting the like technical skills of being able to pick those locks and stuff like that is, is really cool. It's nice to see Rom get some more characterization. I, I'm looking forward to seeing when we actually get to like really fully realize him. Yeah. But alas, that that is in the future. So next time we are going to be covering episodes nine and 10 of season two, second sight and sanctuary. There's a lot of S's here. All right. Until next time, just keep circling, keep circling, just keep circling. 
Just keep circling. Yeah. Keep Just circling. keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. <laughs> Just keep circling. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license.